Hi, I'm Troy Richards. And I'm Daniel Mawson. Welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. I'm the senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Jackson, Missouri, and Daniel's our worship pastor. Our church is reading through the Bible in a year, and on this podcast, we examine highlights from this week's reading. We talk about the passages devotionally and try to answer questions people have shared with us. Our hope is that you'll discover how amazing God's Word is and how enjoyable it is to read for yourself, which is the key to understanding Jesus. Hello and welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. My name is Daniel and dun, I'm dun, here dun, with dun. Pastor Troy, who has his own theme music. Right. And we have uh, Josh Humphreys hey there. here. Josh hey is there. back again. It's so good back to see again. you guys. Man, it feels like it's been so long. What, like eight days it has since been, we recorded a podcast? It has actually been longer than that because we did two, we did we did, two in a row last a time. Weeks, yeah. So it's been and, a while. And we're recording this on a Wednesday instead of a Tuesday, oh so it's gosh. actually two weeks in a day. Man, so, it's like forever. I don't even know if we know how to podcast. We're anymore. not consistent. I don't know if we. <laughs> I almost feel like I need Sorry. to be reintroduced to everyone. But let Hi, me tell I'm you, Josh. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> hey, Josh. <laughs> let me tell you, in the reading uh, for this past week, it was uh, phenomenal because we went through uh, Judges, and we we start into Judges. We've left Joshua. Joshua has died. Died. And uh, come to the end of Dead. a very long life. And uh, and so then we see this pattern that starts in Judges. It's it's a regular pattern in Israel. They they. Have have a somebody like Joshua die, and then I think some of the elders around Joshua they all died, and then they fall into a pattern of sin, and then they become like the people they're with, and then they are warned by prophets this is going to be really bad, uh, then they're ruled by a foreign power, then they cry out to God in misery, and then God raises up a judge to deliver them. Rinse, repeat. You know, none of that sounds like our current condition. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, Othniel's the first judge. Uh, he is the nephew of Caleb, oh, and uh, he judged Israel for 40 years, and, and that was the cycle. 40 years, everything's good. He dies. They fall into disarray, and then blah, blah, blah. Uh, so they went and did evil again, and then Ahud, uh, who killed uh, King Eglon. There's so many great stories in Judges. It's like very uh, violent. It is. He, he, he takes a knife with him to assassinate the king of Moab and he says he's so fat that when he drives the knife in the fat goes over the he- over the hilt of the knife it's like and then disembowels him or whatever so it's like yeah this is um, the R-rated book of the Bible <laughs> the king and then King Javan of Canaan and Sisera his commander uh, take over the or go to war with Israel and then Deborah the woman judge, which is like, yeah. isn't that fascinating? I used to read her name, Deborah. No, it's <laughs> just so uh, embarrassing. It's kind of like, what was it? <laughs> That's like an it? American English name. <laughs> what was it? The the, uh, the Queen of Shabbat? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh my goodness! Oh wow, Josh! I know, and I used to I'm say King Ehud, so that's embarrassing. That's also, it, oh, be, I guess I've said Ehud yeah, before. You can get in. Yeah. There's a lot of Ehud. good baby names in here for the millennial generation. Very much so. Othniel. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about that. Call him Othi. Othi <laughs> or Neil. <laughs> we all know Neil. Yeah. Yeah. Now we're wondering. Yes. Yes. Uh, Oh, well, I'm trying to think of putting other with that. But uh, anyway, (laughs) other with Othniel. Uh, Go play play with your other brother. (laughs) Brother other. Uh, Anyway. Uh, So anyway, so uh, Barak, uh, who is uh, a lot of times called Barak, uh, uh, is is, uh, deprived of his victory because Jael, the wife of... um, uh, Haber and uh, is kills uh, Sisera. 
He goes. It it's is such awesome. A, it is such a cruel story. <laughs> oh he gosh. goes. He goes because they think they're he's they're friends of the king that he serves, and so he goes there looking for a refuge. And she gives him. He asks for water. She gives him milk, milk. warm milk, <laughs> warm milk. Lures him to sleep, and then drives a tent peg through his temple all the way through to the ground. And I love the words after that. It says, and he died. And he died. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Really? That's what will happen if that you happens. do that. So kids, do not do that at As home. As one does. Don't try this at home. Uh, and then we have the story of Gideon with his fleece and 300 men. God narrows it down from thousands to 300 to show his glory as they attack the Mennonites. Abimelech becomes the king uh, and is technically the first king of Israel and reigns for three years. But then he pays for his sins for killing all the descendants of Gideon. And uh, and a woman throws a millstone on his head. And so, and, uh, again, a woman killing uh, the leader. And he tells his servant, says, don't, I don't want to die by the hand of a woman because that seems to be the trend here. And, uh, and so his servant and kills him. Then Jephthah becomes the leader. Jephthah is the son of a prostitute. He's not. He's a man of ill repute uh, amongst his peers, but he becomes very, uh, very gifted at killing people. And so they hire him. They're like, so they wow. when they're falling astray or whatever, they call for him and say, hey. Um, uh, would you come save us? And so anyway, so he comes and saves them and makes a vow that if God gives him victory, that whatever walks out the door, he is going to sacrifice to the Lord. And lo and behold, it's his daughter. It's his daughter. I always, you always think, what did you expect to walk out the door? <laughs> when has that ever gone well? I know. It's like, are you expecting a chicken to walk out the door? <laughs> or you have goats in the house? I don't, I'm not sure where the thought process was there. But anyway, and the, there's a huge question there, and we'll get to that in the third segment. Uh, and that's just judges. That's what we, <laughs> and we're just halfway through. We're just two thirds. We only get through right. two thirds, because then we get the Samson's riddle, and then we're and then we're yeah, done gosh. with judges. So in the Psalms, by the way, uh, David, uh, we talked about how many Psalms did David write, and which ones did he write? He wrote most. Uh, he wrote half the Psalms. Seventy-five out of one hundred and fifty are written by David, but uh, the first seventy. Uh, most of them are his, but not all of them. Um, but none of the Psalms in this week's reading were from David. Two are from the sons of Quran and one's from Asaph. Uh, and uh, they're talking about Zion and how God is judge over the whole earth. And in Proverbs chapter 14, you have contrast between the foolish and the wise. And then in Luke, we have Jesus dealing with the controversy, uh, all kinds of controversy, and uh, teaching about humility, tells us to consider the cost of following Jesus, uh, tells us some well-known par- parables of lost sheep, lost coin, uh, lost son, prodigal son, and then tells the story of a rich man who goes to hell and Lazarus. Uh, that's such it's such an awesome it's like such a it, it is, story. It is, because it's like this story of this guy's in hell and he can see so many things. He's in the bosom of Abraham, Lazarus is, but he and he says we can't you can't cross the gulf between hell and heaven and so forth. And Which is interesting because in Jewish tradition, hell is like directly in front of the throne yeah. of, of God. Like it's very close. Huh. We're in like visually. Yeah. But you can't get there. But you can't get there. Yeah. yeah. You can see it. Uh-huh. But you can't touch it. Mm. Yeah. So much there. So anyway, that's uh, a lot so that's, to cover today. And Jesus talks about the com- coming of the kingdom. So you had so much to choose from, Josh. I know. So much. Let's hope that I'm within the days <laughs> to provide it. Yes. So it was, miracles happen. A lot, a I lot of so. action in this week's reading. So I know. I hope that you'll go back and uh, I hope we have. I don't know what's your appetite for reading the Word of God. That you'll go back and read these amazing stories that are in the reading today. So anyway, when we come back. We'll get a, do our uh, devotional. So 
So I guess what you're trying to tell me is that JL drank and got hammered. But a bum. <laughs> All right, here we are talking about devotional <laughs> moments. That's really what I got entirely okay. from the Bible reading this week. So if you guys want to, oh, Josh, good. you want to start us off? Yeah, I will. Jokes and judges. That's our next <laughs> our next uh, podcast. Yep. Might I just add? Remember how like not too long ago I said I hope I'm in I'm within the day's reading. Well, update, I wasn't. <laughs> so, anyway, <laughs> but I do uh, have a devotional moment in the book of Judges, which is kind of just like a common thing you see throughout the book of Judges mm-hmm. um, and throughout the rest of the Old Testament. Um, it's Judges 8, 33 and 34, um, and here we're seeing, we're seeing Gideon. Um, <clears throat> let me get to it in my Bible. And it says this. As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals and made Baal Bareth their god. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their god. And just that word horde is so intense. And I think people um, kind of look at that word as like a taboo word of like, oh my goodness, whoa. Um, and that's exactly how we should be looking at it. It should it should jump out to us and, and should shake us a little bit because that's exactly what they're doing. Um, they're, they're, you know, committing adultery against God, the mm. God who's delivered them from Egypt, the God who's delivered them even in the midst of judges from these people, um, from the, the God who created them, the God who's delivered them, protected and provided for them, all of this stuff. And anytime someone who's, you know, doing God's work dies, they completely forget him, um, which is so, um, different than what God does. If you look at the book of Genesis continually, again, you see God remembered, God remembered, God remembered mm-hmm. his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Joseph, with, with all these people. Um, and so it's just it's just crazy to see how, how different um, people are responding. Um, and it's just a constant throughout the book of Judges is that they forget God uh, and, mm. and they go after other gods. They go after the people around them. Um, and then and then but the cool thing is here. Um, let me back up real quick. Not only do they forget him. But it says here, um, and made Baal Bareth their god. They made a false god their god themselves. It wasn't like some false god came in and was like, oh, I'll be your god. It was no, they they took it upon themselves to make this Baal their their own god, right. which is like spitting in God's face, which is horrible. But if we look in verse 34, Israel did not remember the Lord their god. And we see here that, that God is still God over his people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that should be encouraging to us. Um, and beautiful. Uh, and this is, again, the story we see through scripture of Israel, um, his people spitting in his face, leaving him, not remembering him, and God still saying, I will be your God and you will be my people. And that's the promise that is throughout the whole Bible, throughout scripture. And there's beauty in that. And at the same time, there's sadness and it should wake us up to say, hey, am I making something else my God? Am I whoring after something that's not um, that's not good? Um, am, am I making something my God and not remembering what God has done for me? Hmm. So it's super, and not only for me, but for generations and generations of people. I mean, it's just something that really stuck out to me was, was how awesome um, God is in this, even amongst their whoring. <laughs> My Bible says prostituted. Mm. So, mm. what version do you use? ESV, English ESV. Standard Version. Mm. What's your say? Um, in Judges eight. Judges, Judges eight, 8 thirty three. Thirty three. Yeah. Eight thirty three says prostitute. Yeah. I think Ours horror is much better. Tamer. Are you guys, yeah. Much tamer. CSB? Uh, yes, CSB. Yeah. Prostituted. Yeah. Good Baptist Bible. I know. I know. I know. Yes. Careful. More careful with language there. Right. But uh, you know the the thing that always bothered me. 
younger about Gideon because Gideon is like a hero. And when you are, when we're teaching Bible classes and when you're doing Bible, vacation Bible school and different things, um, and in Sunday school, uh, you have heroes like Gideon. And then you grow up and you start reading about it. And it's like, wow, Gideon wasn't that great after all, you know, and had some serious <laughs> issues here. And immediately goes back to building an idol in his mm-hmm. um, in his garage or wherever. And <laughs> the and the thing is, is which you what's hard to get your head around is that the people of Israel were idolatrous people more than they were worshipers of God. Yeah. It's like you have we want it to be different. We want it to be that they are but but you realize there's a few, a remnant, always a remnant of yeah. people who are maintaining faithfulness, but as a as a whole, uh, people are always looking for other ways. And and that is exactly the way it is today. Uh, the church really is is the remnant. It's right. not the not the not the is we're the exception, not the rule. I mean, Jesus said it's a narrow path, not a mm-hmm. wide path, and most people find it a different way. So when you when you look at the the way the world acts and so forth, yeah, it it is they do always tend to go after other things. Mm-hmm. And the fact that when you realize how many people actually are faithful in their walk with Christ and actually want to follow Christ, it's actually it's a very small group of people you know I, I think people say all the time you know heaven's gonna be a lot bigger than we think and a lot of people are gonna be there. i hope so i mean but <laughs> i mean I, but i don't know what you base that on i don't mm-hmm. know the the reality is is that uh, jesus calls us to follow him and most people don't want to follow him they right. don't want to be which is they don't want to serve jesus and so they they're always looking for uh, other gods and that has never been any different. Right. That's the way people have always been. We, they know who God is. They know that's an option on the table. It's just like, mm, I think I'd rather do this instead. If you are a follower of Christ and you do love him and that's who you want to serve, it's kind of like not understanding how everybody can think your kids are funny or how everybody <laughs> doesn't think your spouse is beautiful. You know, right. And because you love your them. Your voice is good. Or your voice is good, <laughs> yes. Because you love them, of course, and, and so you see them with eyes of love. And so we see God with these eyes of love. Right. We see Jesus with these eyes of love. And so when people don't see him with those same eyes, it's just it's so foreign to us. We just don't understand how it could be possible. But uh, but the reality is, is that that is that is the reality. That and, well, and, always been, and that's been. the cool thing. It's and as you read the Old Testament again through through that lens of man, I just really love God. Like this morning, I was reading through um, God speaking to Moses at the burning bush, and I just started crying because I was like, yeah. "This is so good." Even I mean, look what Israel is going through, and God promised this would happen, and He did yeah. promise He was going to deliver them. And look, He's speaking, and it's like, man, just those lines over and over again: "I will be their God, and they will be my people." Like that. It's something that we can hold on to, and it, it's just so cool. No matter no matter how much we whore after other things, yeah. if you're a follower of Him, He will be our God, and we will be His people. I remember forever. somebody shared with me an illustration about um, about um, I'm trying to think of a way to say this without putting myself in a particular doctrinal stance. <laughs> uh, election, the concept of election in the Bible, and that is that if you think of uh, a woman who is uh, inside a, a woman is at work inside an office building and so forth and the office building's on fire and her husband comes in and he is telling people the office building's on fire get out the office building's on fire get out and he keeps telling this message but nobody believes him and nobody mm-hmm. listens to him but he goes and he gets his wife and he drags her out mm-hmm. he says yeah. and his wife who may be watching pornography or doing something or having an affair online right. with somebody else he goes and gets her and he pulls her out because she's his wife 
And that is the picture of God with his people for much of the Bible. It's that right. uh, he says, he gives common grace to everybody, mm-hmm. but he goes and he gets his people and he pulls them out of whatever situation is because he's their God. <laughs> and uh, and that's uh, it's such a difficult thing for us to understand because we try to t- take that idea and make it fit into our evangelism mm-hmm. plan or right. whatever. But that's the two things are completely separate things because we don't... Um, we're not God, and right. we don't see things from his perspective. But but if you look at him telling his own story, that's the story he shares. That's, well, yeah, and he had to do that with Lot. His family, yeah. they dragged him to the outskirts of Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. And then blew it up. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. it's crazy. And and, we, and and like you said in the story of Gideon, it was mm-hmm. not that Gideon was a super awesome, faithful person. No. It was just like, I, I need to do this and rescue my people. I'm going to use you to do it. Mm-hmm. And he gives him everything he needs to do it. And Gideon's heart still uh, leans back in that direction. But it just shows you the fragility of faith. And, yeah. and we yeah. aren't, we're just not as strong as we think we are. Right. It, it, it encourages me in, on, from another perspective, because I think, well, God used Gideon, and and if He can use Gideon, then obviously He can use me because right. I'm as flawed as Gideon is. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, good yeah. stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. thanks, Josh. You're welcome. Wow, I just don't think I have anything to share now, I mean, <laughs> but I will just because. <laughs> Why not? Why not? We start uh, a few minutes right. podcast. We've we got time to go. That's right. Um, <laughs> I want to share something from um, I wanted to share something from Psalm, but I'm going to wait because I know Daniel has something. Daniel, why don't you do this for me? Yeah. Because I know I know what you're going to do. I know you're going to share from Psalm 50. Oh, share, yeah. Share your part, and then yours I'll, is right after. That's right after. Okay, yeah. sure, sure, sure. Um, I gotta I gotta jump over there real quick. I was about to do a different thing, but it's in Yikes. Psalm 50, which is awesome. Um, it's actually a really great trifecta. Uh, 50, 51, 52 are all really good. Yeah. Um, ironically, the header of Psalm 50 in my Bible says God as judge. Hmm. And so it really mm. paired really well with our reading this yeah. week, um, reading through all the judges. But anyway, I was going to um, highlight about five verses, six verses, um, 16 to 21. It says, but God says to the wicked, what right do you have to recite my statutes and to take my covenant on your lips? You hate instruction and turn your back on my words. When you see a thief, you make friends with him and you associate with adulterers. You unleash your mouth for evil, You har- which is a cool word. You unleash your mouth mm. for evil and harness your tongue for deceit. Mm. You sit maligning your brother, slandering your mother's son. You have done these things and I kept silent. You thought I was just like you, but I will rebuke you and lay out the case before you. And I just, th- I just, I just get hung up on that line. You thought I was just like you, mm. uh, and God's saying I am. And like you were just saying a second ago, Troy, yeah. it's like God's saying I am nothing like you. Yeah. Like you, you, you try to be like me. You do not bring me down to your level because this is. And He says you, you think you think you're that great. You think that you can recite my statutes you think you can live like me let me tell you what you're like mm. and he just lays out all of their sins before them and he, and god being the righteous judge he says we are on a different place you and me um, so you come to my level don't bring me down to your level and i think we do that to god way too often and, and i think we do it innocently at first because we have jesus who was brought down to our level in a way uh, he condescended himself and became like us to a point um, but we we af- we associate our our weaknesses 
with God's strength in ways that probably we shouldn't. And we, um, we think that God's, we, you know, it always comes back to that same, we think that God's ways are like our ways. And we mm-hmm. think that our, our wisdom, because, you know, I hear this all the time, well, we're made in the image of God, so, and then fill in whatever heresy you want. Mm. Like that's, um, we, we just do that. We take way too much liberty there and God, it's not like us. And if we consider our wisdom to be like his, or any even on even close to the same level to be able to think through things like we're we're just really probably in a real bad spot spiritually hmm. before him so what we want to avoid is verse 21 is the rebuke i will rebuke you and lay out the case before you we've seen him in the bible lay out cases before people um, and that's it never ends well you know you, you see him do it with job you see him do it with moses you see him do it and it's always it's never pleasant for hmm. the people so i think if we can avoid that um, and just live with live in as much humility as we can before the Lord. That's probably the best we can do. So, you know, I think sometimes we have a false humility, and then we'll say uh, things like, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I I would love to do that, but I'm just not good enough, or I'm, right. I'm not gifted in that area, yeah. or and 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 all we're really saying it's really blasphemy because what we're saying is is that God is not sufficient in order to make God cannot empower me to the point where that can be done mm-hmm. or God cannot give me the ability that Moses did that you know where he was like I, I can't speak or whatever and God's looking at him going what are you talking what about are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> he's like I'm not you can't do any of this I'm <laughs> right. going to do all of it right. through you and so it's like so go get your brother you know, go get <laughs> yeah. your stupid little brother and bring him I'll show you I'll use him right. you know you think right. he's an idiot and you've always made fun of him when you were kids and now I'm going to use him just to make you look bad uh, and uh, and does but but the thing that uh, we reveal about ourselves so often when we when we look at God and say God I don't I don't know how God could love me because I'm like this mm-hmm. or I don't know how God could forgive me for doing such things mm-hmm. what we're revealing is is that we can't love people for doing things like that right. and we can't forgive people when they do things like that so we assume that God is treating us the same way and the and we are and God's response is, I'm not like you. Right. I'm not unforgiving yeah. and unloving like you are, and and so that's the, um, the the thing that He wants us to know. In my quiet time today, I'm in Colossians, uh, just personally, and in uh, chapter three, I read, uh, you know, you should be you should be accepting of one another, forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so that you must also forgive. Right? It's not like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Anyway, and that really hit me because I realized it's not that people sin against me; it's just I have complaints against some people, you know. And that's mm. it. Just worded that way it hit me hit me different. And it, I realized that God could have so many complaints about me. Like I, mm. I even if I'm not like downright in rebellion towards Him, I'm still not what He wants. Right. You know. And and God could complain about me, but instead He forgives me. And that brings to those next two verses that I was going to look at, where he says, Now consider this, uh, still from Psalm 50, verse 22 and 23. Now consider this, you who forget God, lest I tear you in pieces, and there be more, and there be none to deliver. Whoever offers praise glorifies me, and to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. Um, the the thing that God is reminding us in this and going through is just that he knows our hypocrisy he he knows that we are not who we claim to be and he condemns it uh and though it seems like uh, he is con- condoning our actions by his silence 
his truth is made known to us by his word. He he tells us because a lot of times we think, oh God is not God's okay with this because he hasn't killed me, or God's okay with this mm-hmm. because he hasn't said anything. But he's already told us the truth in his word. He's already mm-hmm. revealed who he is and and his standard and so forth. And he desires our repentance and righteous living through the power of his Holy Spirit. He is he is wanting us to be the people that he has called us to be. And he doesn't want us to save ourselves. He doesn't want us to try to fix ourselves. He doesn't want us to try to say, I'm going to try harder. Because when we take that stance of a works-based salvation, then what we are saying is, is I believe I have the capability of saving myself. But that wretch over there, well, he has no hope because he's never going to be able to save himself. But I'm ahead of him, or I'm I'm better than him, or I'm more skilled than he is, which may, causes, again, causes us to be less willing to forgive them, more willing to forgive ourselves less willing to con- to look at them and see hope for them, more willing to see hope for ourselves because we're placing our hope in our own ability, not in the hand of God. When we place our hope in the hand of God and we believe that God is the one who saves us and that we have need for him, then that gives us the ability to see hope for everyone because obviously it's not, it's not me asking, can that person do it? It's me asking, can God do it? And if I have a right view of God, well, of course God can do it. And and he, and he can save me. He can save everybody. Then it really does become good news. It really is uh, the gospel. And that is made evident in our lives when we are forgiving of other people. When we look at other people and say, well, of course I forgive you. Of course I can love you however you are because that's the way God loves me, and that's the forgiveness that I've received. Um, and so he wants us to turn to him for salvation and then walk in his goodness, dwell with him, abiding in him, and not running back to worthless companions uh, who love evil. And and that is, uh, I think, the temptation is that we are drawn to people who are – what Satan does through people uh, through people who are not walking with Christ or abiding in Him, is he'll they use that of, you know, look at those people over there, aren't they disgusting people? And and what they're saying is, we're not disgusting. You know, look at us. Yeah, and they're trying to get you to feel good about yourself, but really, they're trying to get you to feel bad about God and uh, and His love for those other people. And uh, and and that's it's evil that just in itself. So when we look at all the things that are happening in our world, you know, with racial injustice and and all the things that uh, are wrong with our planet, uh, it, it's so easy to want to put labels on people and mm-hmm. say, well, we're right and, and we're wrong. And I, I think one of the things that opened my eyes when I started, we started working a lot with missionaries around the world is preconceived ideas I had about people who were of citizens of a particular country. I realized right. <clears throat> that those were just things that were put into my head uh, I was conditioned to think these people are good and these people are bad just simply by political labels when really Jesus defines good and evil. Jesus defines whether are righteous or not righteous. And so I have brothers in Christ. If I have a brother in Christ, it doesn't matter what political label he has, he's still my brother in Christ. We're going to live together for all eternity. And uh, and we are to have a love for each other and support for each other and pray for each other and encourage each other and then look to see. And then everybody else is in the lost category. So my hope mm-hmm. is is that they will be redeemed and, and made whole through Christ and, and to not see those... 
uh, colors of skin and political labels and things that man has created to create divisions mm-hmm. within us. And and it's not and I think Christians have to be careful here because we're not trying to appease the world right. and their fight against social injustice because they're not equipped to do so. Uh, the, you'll just replace one dictator with another. You'll replace one one bale with another bale, and uh, and and so they, you know, they're trying to do the right thing. They just don't have the tools to do it with. But we have to set the standard. Yeah. I, I think it's – sorry, to bring it back to Moses just one more time from today's reading. I like Moses. It's okay. You can <laughs> so bring it back to Moses. He kills this Hebrew um, – um, no, sorry. He kills an Egyptian. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know what? I was thinking you meant that Moses was really proficient in Hebrew. He just kills it. <laughs> He's, He's killing the Hebrew. Man. I was like, no. well, he was a Hebrew. So he had that no, going but, for him. But he kills this Egyptian because the Egyptian was beating a Hebrew. Yeah. When in reality, that also was not good, killing the Egyptian. And then he buries him, and then he runs. He hides. and Because the, the Hebrews are like, oh, are you going to kill us too? Yeah. And it was this moment of like, oh, no, people know. I'm afraid, and so I run. And so it was like yeah. – he took deciding what was good was killing the Egyptian and what or um yeah what was good was doing that and what was bad was for that Egyptian to beat the Hebrew and it's like well neither of those th- those things are good and we can't decide what's good and bad from that um, because they were different you know Moses was Hebrew and that Egyptian was Egyptian and it was just kind of like this you know this notion of this is evil and so I must end it um, and yeah. it, that's not. It is, and God does draw a line. And we were talking about that. You were talking about the murderous actions of mm-hmm. the people in Joshua, and and um, the and God does draw a line and says, if you just take it upon yourself to mm-hmm. declare justice and, right. and take it in your hands, that's murder. Yeah, you know, you're you're a vigilante. And uh, but in the same way that uh, you know we have capital punishment today, and, and regardless of where you want to stand on that or mm-hmm. whatever, God has always empowered societies to maintain rule by saying. If a person takes a life, then right. you take their life or whatever, and and, and establish that in His law with His people and so mm-hmm. forth. But God says, "I'm I'm the one who judges that. Right. I, I you have to follow my judgment mm-hmm. on that." And He had very specific uh, guidelines for yeah. how a person, what a, how a person to do. And so, so later Moses is used mm-hmm. in, in, I mean, is instrumental in the death of many Egyptians, right. but it's under God's edict, right? Not under Moses's wrath, right? So, right. And 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 one is a righteous judgment, whereas the other is just human judgment, and we don't have the right to be. That's why Jesus tells us, you know, we're told not to judge one right. another. We're not. I'm, we're not capable. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, um, so my second devotional <clears throat> is in Luke, um, and it's kind of covering just the whole chapter of Luke 15. Um, mm-hmm. And it's this understanding of celebration when sinners come to faith. Mm. Um, we hear it in verse 7. It says, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And then verse 10, Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And we flip over to verse 24. For this is my son, um, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. And then the last verse of the chapter, It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this was your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And this is just such um, beauty we see with salvation of, you know, this this is exciting. Um, When people come to faith, it's something exciting because they move from death, um, being dead in their sins to life. Uh, And what does that life entail? What it entails forever with God, um, because death is separation from God. And so they get to be with God. They get to enjoy um, this, the, the good things that come from they, they get to enjoy him and that's beauty. But amongst all of this, 
we see this this righteous person theme. Um, we we see that in in the parable of the lost the lost sheep, the righteous persons who need no repentance, and then here in the, in the prodigal son, where where the the older son is angry at his father for celebrating, mm-hmm. um, because I've done all these good things and and I've never gotten the fattened calf and I've never never gotten this and blah 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 blah, and it's this this anger over someone who is ruined so many things, you know, gotten rid of all of the father's money and, and done all this stuff. And I, I think that us Christians find ourselves in that spot. Um, I was talking to um, one of my pastor friends who was like, he, he went home and he was teaching at his home church. And the people of the church after the sermon was like, wow, that's what happened to him. Wow. That's kind of weird. Cause he was a horrible kid. And there's this understanding of like, man, Sometimes in Christian culture, and just in general, this is what the Pharisees were doing, there's a lot of this judgment that we were talking about of like, man, I'm so good and they're so bad. But it's like, no, this should be a this should be a celebration of wow, this person has come to faith. So that old person is dead. That they're that person is gone. Um, they're a new creation. Mm. And so we get to celebrate that um with heaven. Like heaven celebrating, we get to join them in that celebration because they're now in our family. They have put on the new self. The Lord has put that on them and is covered in Christ's blood. And that's exciting, and we see this throughout the whole the whole chapter of Luke 15, uh, and it's it's just God covers our shame with His glory, and we can celebrate that with people, um, and we don't have to be this you know <laughs> nagging ugly human who is just so angry about what God hasn't done for us, but we can be joyful about what God has done for other people. I was at a pageant, uh, Easter pageant, years ago uh, that a church did that was just primarily their primary ministry. And I can remember going and sitting and thinking, mm, the singing's okay, the acting <laughs> is mediocre, you know, and the set design and looking at all the different things and so forth and just watching it and so forth. And then the pastor came up and uh, they said he does a little gospel presentation at the end. I was thinking, oh, great, now preaching on top of already a two-hour whatever <laughs> right. thing. And so we're watching, listening to him preach. And it's just, you know, it's like same old message mm-hmm. over and over again. And then he does an invitation and you're, and you're like looking at your watch and thinking, oh, my, how long is this going? Right. Right. last and then uh, this guy comes forward and uh, people came forward you know during the invitation and it's kind of like yeah whatever and uh and so it's like now it's just gonna make this longer right. and and so then people start shouting and it's like this i mean like hooping shouting kind of thing and then crying loud like crying like crying joyful crying or yeah. whatever and then clapping and then it's like and so now you're like what in the world right. is going on right. over there and so you realize and then the preacher gets up and shares that this woman's husband had given his life to Christ and she had been praying for him for 43 years for him to be wow. saved mm-hmm. and that night he had given his heart to Christ and come mm. forward and I thought I'm such a Pharisee. <laughs> right. I thought I, I, you know, all I can, all I can think of yeah. in the city, I, I'm not even looking for Christ. Right. In a play about Christ, <laughs> yeah. you know, and and because and that's what happened. That was Jesus was right there in their midst, but they weren't looking for Jesus. Right. He wasn't on their agenda for that day. They were they were there for whatever whatever reasons they were there. And so Jesus is Jesus uses these three stories and it is amazing right. how he throws that celebration in. Yeah. And he's trying to show him. He's like, you're not celebrating because you don't see what's happening. Right. And and you don't have a love for these people. You haven't you haven't right. lost anything. Right. 
and and that is what I think really hits home at churches uh, when we get more focused on carpet. I mean, think about it. I mean, just think about it for a second. Anybody who's listening, mm-hmm. who's in the church ministry, if you lost your child, would you be like, oh my gosh, our son is missing? But there's also a stain on the carpet, and we really need to get <laughs> right. that fixed. Call the carpet right. cleaner, you know, and get this stain fixed or whatever. And yeah, we'll get to the kid thing, you know, a few weeks from now, maybe right. next year, maybe two years, whatever. But we've got all these other things that are more important. To right. Do. When you have a lost child, mm-hmm. and I've lost a child, <laughs> so I, I mean, I haven't lost a child. I mean, I haven't lost a child to death. So that's. Yeah. Praise the Lord for that. And, I, and I've gone through that with people. and that's over. But I, I mean, I'm talking about physically they are missing. missing. We, we were in a Houston park and my son all of a sudden is not with us. And you, it is the right. worst feeling ever. And and this is why it's such an incredible metaphor. Um, and he's fine. I'm going to tell you the ending. He's good. <laughs> but he was four years old, five, four or five. And um, it was our uh, oldest son, David. And, um, and he was with Kim. And he... She and she had Jonathan, and she turned around, and David was gone. And it was one of those she went to the right looking for him, but he had gone to the left. Mm-hmm. And so he went to the police and told him who he was, remembered his phone number, remembered everything. I mean, he did right. everything he was supposed to do, so he was good. All was good with him. But we are frantic, right. and we are going to people people we have never met before, telling them of our situation, right. enlisting their help. Would you help us find our son? Mm-hmm. And so we have all these multitude of people searching the park. And when he's found, it's like this, I mean, it's a celebration yeah. of everybody. People I don't even know are right, celebrating right. because we all had the sense of having lost something. And that's what Jesus was doing here. Well, and that's the exact story yeah. of, the, of the coin. Light a lamp, seek yeah. diligently. And yeah. then what happens, her neighbors and her uh, friends, yeah. they celebrate. Yeah. And that's like, that's the goodness of it. It's like, um, I can think when my cousin gave her life to Christ a few weeks ago yeah. on Easter, it was there was a huge emotional moment for my family because it had been years. Yeah. But the church at whole got to celebrate that, and yeah. that is such a beautiful thing. It's like if we're not seeking the presence of God, if we're not seeking His glory wherever we are, um, whatever stage of life, whatever day it is of the week, then we're not going to see it. You know, it, it and it's like until until God illuminates it to us and says, "Hey, right. look, you weren't looking, and look what you you, you right. missed." You, you know? were aware that that person was lost. Yeah. And, and so when you, and that's what I think was wrong. I think we've, I think we forget that there are people mm-hmm. who are lost Yeah, and we see them every day, mm-hmm. but we don't see them as lost. We see them as sinners right. in need of judgment right. or in need of punishment or whatever, but we don't see them as children who are lost. And when you just making that, and Jesus, that's what he's doing. He's saying, I just want to shift your perspective. I just want you to see it as God sees them. Mm -hmm. God sees these as his lost children Mm -hmm. that he's searching for. And you're seeing them as obstacles uh, to achieve your own personal goals. And uh, and as people who are in the way. I I remember when I was in high school, uh, I was uh, president of our student body. And one of the things we had to do was put on dances and so forth. And I remember thinking that we'd create, you know, do all these different social events or whatever throughout the year. And there were so many mechanics to it. And I remember thinking and saying to people, if it weren't for this useless person, if it weren't for this mm-hmm. useless person, if it weren't for this, we could really make this well. And how do we get rid of this person to make mm-hmm. this better? It was real good preparation for ministry. <laughs> and uh, and I, I think, and but when you go into ministry, you think it, you, there's a temptation to think yeah. the same way. And I can remember me seeing people later 
and it was like I really hated you in high school, or they they would say that to me, and I'm like, how could anybody? I was such a wonderful person. <laughs> but then I realized they were a person I cast off. They were right. a person I was trying. I saw. I didn't see them as a person, and you don't realize that people are feeling that. You know, I'm just trying. I'm trying to think. I'm thinking that the world will celebrate me mm-hmm. for the quality of a dance that's done. Yeah. But God is saying, no. I I want you. To, I want people to see you like they see me, and for what you know that they are of value and that they have mm-hmm. purpose and meaning. And uh, and that's such a, a need in our church today. Yeah. Is, and just one more thing on that. The the Bible tells us, you know, Jesus has compassion on these people because they were harassed and helpless, like a sheep without mm-hmm. a shepherd. And I think if we look at people as broken and un and like unhelped then we're not going to want to help them but if we see them as they have a need and they're harassed and helpless by things that we can't even see um then that you know that makes us love and have compassion on those people and realize the position and we are we are not harassed and helpless anymore but we are Mm. you know covered and 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 helped (laughs) by Mm. jesus himself It, it it just shifts your perspective a lot yeah wow that's because um, it's been a long time on that, and yeah, we probably already no did. But then we'll move on. <laughs> but uh, I had something from uh, uh, the chapter before that in Luke uh, is from Luke chapter fourteen, verse twenty-five through twenty-eight. It says now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, "If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower?" does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it and i um i i i tell you i i get carried away um thinking that jesus wants me to get a lot of people to follow him that mm-hmm. that's my goal that uh, if i can get lots and lots of people into church or have a big service with thousand mm-hmm. people in it that i've achieved that goal and he's going to say awesome job awesome sauce uh but that's not <laughs> That's not the picture Jesus ever gave. Jesus was looking for, you know, it's funny that it it leads into from that passage into uh, chapter 15 where you're talking about that he's looking for the lost coin, the lost sheep. And the idea is, is that we are we are on mission uh, looking for him. But if we have ties that and and to use the the parable of the sheep. Uh, if we are more attached to the 99 sheep than we are to the one, right. then he can't use us as a disciple. And, yeah. and that's and that's a trap I, I fall into. Uh, he was never trying to get larger crowds. He was never trying to get more people to follow him. In fact, he it always looked like, if you really read, it looks like he's trying to whittle that crowd down. You know, that, that it's like, we got all these people, now how do we, what can I say to... To thin the herd just a little bit. See how um, they drink out of a lake. Sometimes that helps. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, and uh, yeah, to throw a Gideon reference in. Yeah. Um, but um, uh, he was he was looking for authentic disciples, and yeah. so I need to focus more on those who genuinely seek to follow him, and then do what he tells me to do to teach them all that he has commanded us. You know, to to take what he has taught me and teach them with that. Yeah. So um, more people may come. When you do that, but that's not the goal. The goal is to be authentic in discipleship. And I think authentic discipleship does increase crowds. I think authentic discipleship does increase the number of people, but but it's people who are for the right reason. They're Mm -hmm. coming. They're coming to find Jesus, and because that's what you are uh, presenting. Uh, And and the goal, the goal is not more people, but the goal for me and for you and all of us Mm -hmm. is 
pure devotion to Jesus Christ. Yeah. Just that I I am completely and totally like the servants of, of um, was it Abraham, who went to find a wife for yeah. Isaac and so forth. Just completely devoted to Abraham's purposes and doing that's that's who we are to be, uh, is completely devoted to Christ and discipling those who've considered the cost of following Christ. So it just so it's never you know, I used to try to say how do we present the and I've had people ask me this too. So now that people feel the same way. How can we present the gospel in a way to make sure that we don't turn people off to Christ? And uh, and that is such a weird yeah. <laughs> thought process if you think about it, uh, because the reality is, yeah, you don't want to you don't you don't want to misstate the gospel. You don't want to be untruthful. But the truth of the gospel is, is that if you desire to be with Jesus, you can be. Yeah. And but that. Within it has the inherently means that you want to follow Christ, mm-hmm. because that was what was happening. Is the Pharisees and people? There were a lot of people who wanted to be close to God, and the Pharisees were coming to them and saying, "You can't be. It's impossible. You'll never make it. You'll never be able to do it. You'll never be as good as we are. Mm-hmm. You'll never be as you know do all the things. It's so hard for us to do this. Oh my goodness, it's so hard. You'll you could never do what we do. That was the message they were sending. And then Jesus comes and says, "Oh no." You can be. I've right. made. I've made a way for you. They. You can't do what they're doing, but he said. But actually, if you want to be with God, you got to be more righteous than even what they are. It's impossible for you to do it, mm-hmm. but it's possible for me to do it for you, and then I'm going to give it to you for free. Right. And that was. The, that is the good news. Yeah. Yeah. Just talking about the cost and and following Christ. I'm going to uh, capstone this section going back to Judges real quick. Um, in Judges three. Uh, this is, like I said, this it's kind of it's it's a little trickier to pull out devotional moments in judges, just because it's not, not impossible. It's not like a lot of one-liners. Um, it's just just harder. <laughs> but um, but this did stick out, and I don't think this has ever really stuck out to me before. And at the beginning of chapter three, it says, uh, "These are the nations the Lord left in order to test Israel, since Israelites had fought none of these battles in any of the wars with Canaan, right? So like God fought all the battles mm. originally, and they didn't. They had no battle experience. They needed battle experience, yeah. but they didn't have any. Um, so this and it's verse three. This was to teach the future generations of the Israelites how to fight in battle. Mm. So, so just for I was just kind of taken back a little bit, just how the miracles of God like we don't see a lot of them today um, and it's almost like this is kind of like a maybe maybe an explanation of like the things that God does like and just takes care of things unilaterally himself mm-hmm. weakens his people um, I, and I was I, my, my mind went to I had to look up the reference but it's Hebrews 12 4 um, where it says in struggling against sin you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood Right, so 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 often we think, God, why don't you just take this away from me, or why don't you just, um, why don't you fill in the blank, God, why don't you just make this better? Why do you allow this in the world to continue? Um, and 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 this is this is you said the cost in following Christ, and I'm just thinking, according to to judges, like God may do something miraculous, but then He has to teach it to us a harder way, hmm. another another time, because we still have to be we still have to be conformed into an image of Christ and that doesn't happen just because God snaps his fingers there's a cost to following Christ and mm. there's a there's a battle to be fought I love the the way the author of Hebrews says you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood against sin <laughs> like I I don't know what that kind of resistance against sin looks like I've never gotten that far 
um, in my battle against sin. And um, anyway, um, it's just interesting. Like, and I think that we can take that today. It says this: what, what um, the hard things that God allows you to go through. This is to teach you how to fight in battle, fight right? In spiritual battle, um, and. And that's the only kind of battle we can fight nowadays. And the people that we admire most, the people that we, the legends of the faith that we have, uh, that are true legends for all of us, uh, they are people who have been, who are battle weary, yeah. you know, who mm-hmm. are, who have ba- or battle hardened, or however you want to think of it. Mm-hmm. They've been through so much, and and to be tested in. And, and you know, I was thinking about uh, even in my devotional time this morning. Um, it was, I thought, the first year we came, we had. Uh, here we've been here. This is our third year. The first year we had every natural disaster I think we could have. We had uh, a, a bunch of snow and then a bunch of flooding, and where they closed the bridges down and so forth. And so we had that. And then the second year we have the coronavirus, and so that was exciting. And then this year my wife has cancer, and so it's like, wow, this is fun. Uh, <laughs> this is and but you know you realize that that is uh, that's it's kind of affirmation. It's like that means we're doing something that God. Is molding and shaping us yeah. for something that is worthwhile because it is you're right it is it is a there is a cost to it and you know i don't i don't think you of course you don't pray for difficulty or tragedy to happen in your life or whatever but uh I, you know we but it's, we, it's but it's part of it and i you know we um i was one of the things that i have never served in armed forces or um and or been to any type of boot camp or anything like that. So we made things like that up. We would when I would I would take my kids out and we would do things. We would create difficulties um, on hikes or whatever. Uh, and people would say, "Why are you doing something so stupid?" And it's like, well, I I felt like we at least need to have some type of training for how to do without, you know, and how to how do how do you respond in difficult circumstances mm-hmm. because those are the things that make us sharper and. Um, and uh, and more diligent. And sometimes I've gone a little bit too far, maybe. But 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 at the same time, <laughs> I, there are life lessons I'm glad my kids have had. And and they do realize th- th- that when things get really bad, you keep your calm, you keep your cool, and, and you f- and and you trust God. You look to Him to be your. Uh, that's the, the thing that I'm most pleased about in my children is that when difficult times come, they look to God for the answer mm-hmm. and believe that he has an answer and, and will provide it. And and that is a message that everybody should get. I hope I hope it goes beyond my, my children, off, that they take that message to the world right. as well. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Yeah, it's almost like a, a sta- uh, an easy life is a sign of stagnating faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, growth. I know you don't you don't want it, the bad times to come, but it is but it is part of being in the battle. Yeah, you know? but it's cool to be able to look back and see how God got you through it. You know, it's like it's that's what we have to do in the, the Old Testament. It's yeah. like, oh, how did God get them through that? Well, He protects, He provides, and He blesses, and over and over again, it's super cool. Yeah. All right. All right. I, we may have a question too, so we'll come back and do that. We're just going to tag on a couple questions and answers at the end of the podcast. So what we got? All right. Josh, go with yours first. Yes. <clears throat> okay. So Luke 14, 34 says, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Um, so if it's salt, then how does it lose its taste? Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> salt losing its taste. Um, there is a... 
Another passage, and I wish I was the Bible answer man could think of it, but it says it is <laughs> worth nothing except to be trodden under the foot of man or something to that effect. Mm. And one of the things, how it was explained to me years ago was that uh, they would take salt and one of the things that they would do with salt is mix it with tar and so forth in order to create gravel or some type of rudimentary pavement in that time. So what he was saying is, is once you have... Uh, once salt has been mixed in that and p- polluted, so you can't obviously you can't mm. use it to eat with anymore, and all it's worthwhile is to just walk on top of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it would have been uh, this is one of those things I tell you when you visit the Holy Land <laughs> and right. so forth, and because it was and it would make sense because there's a visual and Jesus was always doing that. He was when he was talking to his crowds. One of the things if you don't ever uh, if you ever never get the opportunity to go to the Holy Land. Uh, there is a guy who went, man, I don't know why I start on this path when I don't have these names in front of me, <laughs> but, uh, there's, uh, there's all kinds of guys who, uh, to have been to, I'm going to look it up real quick while I'm talking, but, um, um, land with, um, didn't come back, I thought it would, uh, Vanderlei, Vander, um, Vanderlaan, there you go. Vanderlei Industries is from Seinfeld, yeah. uh, but Ray Vanderlaan. So Ray Vanderlaan did a series of videos where he went to the Holy Land and filmed it, where he could then do deal with Bible questions like that. Super amazing series because it gives you a visual of this is what Jesus was looking at when he was saying these words, mm-hmm. and so it kind of makes the connection because he's with his crowds and he's using illustrations right in front of them to say. You know, if this happens to salt, then how can it be used anymore? And 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 truly, when we've become polluted, our salt is no longer worthy of. Uh, now we're we're not useful for preservation. And salt has a twofold thing: taste and preservation. And we're not useful for any of those things anymore. So anyway, so that's that. And when you salt ground, doesn't it like ruin the ground? Too, for like they do that way with pour salt, yeah, on the ground. Just, right. yeah. I don't know how many, how deep we need to go in the illustration. But yeah. <laughs> it seems like yeah. if you if you're putting it on the ground, you're more than worthless. You're hurtful. You, yeah, yeah. You've, you've heard you've made it impossible to grow anything. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So now it's just it is just a sidewalk. Yeah, it's just that's all you can do is walk on it. So okay. Man. So then we had a question about. Jephthah's daughter. Yes, Jephthah's daughter was, uh, he vowed and said that whatever walks out the door, I'm going to give that to God, sacrifice to God, and a burnt sacrifice. And she walks out the door, and then she says, can I have some time to go spend some time with my friends uh, before you are good on the sacrifice? It's a tough passage uh, because... we, the question is, is, does he kill his daughter? And would God receive that? And it's a twofold answer. One is, I, I, I lean on the side that he did not, that he just simply, she was devoted to God, uh, kind of like in the same way Hannah devoted Samuel to God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she would never know a man or whatever. And so it would just be something that um, uh, her, her now, her life of service to the Lord or whatever. And that's how she was given. Could he have sacrificed her, though? It's very possible because all the way in through Judges, the people were so warped in their understanding of everything. They're always doing things. that it, it, You see a, a continual degradation through the book of Judges of people whose hearts and minds are so far away from God. And, and it gets worse and worse. And we're going to deal with that. That was a question for next week uh, that we will uh, deal with. But it, but it is just, uh, you know, just to understand, because people are like, 
like, how, why are they doing this? And how are they doing this? It's because their hearts are far away from God. Mm-hmm. They're nowhere near where they were when Joshua and Moses were right there listening to God right. and obeying the law. And so when you get into this convoluted, we kind of half follow the gospel or whatever and, and making things up and life is horrible as a result of that. Well, it's because we, and we do that. We, there are so many forms of following Christ that are so wrong and people making, you know, I, I see the decision making that people make. And say, How can Christians ever think that would be right? Well, it's because they're not walking mm-hmm. faithfully in the word yeah. and you begin to justify things and rationalize things because you're not really paying attention uh, to what God really teaches. And, and, you know, we, you know, we talk about church revitalization, which is something we're doing here at First Baptist is going through a revitalization plan. And the biggest part of that is just simply getting us back to where we just simply follow what God's word says. Right. And uh, because that's, I mean, that's where the healing takes place. So anyway, that's cool. That's it. All right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. We will be back next week on the Understanding Jesus podcast. Thanks again for listening to the Understanding Jesus podcast. If you would like more information on Understanding Jesus or First Baptist Church of Jackson or would just like to submit a question or comment, then you can call the church office at 573-243-8415 or you can email us at office at fbcj.us. Thanks so much. We'll see you soon.